Yeah, so that's all burnt farmland. My name is Jim. This is Jim Warfare, the Battle of Ideas. David Klatso, forensic scientist, is joining me. Did you did you see that video clip? I have, and I, I saw it last week already. Um, and it is one of the most disturbing video clips that come out of South Africa for the, in the last uh, short while. Um, and very, 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 very frightening to realize what damage can be done uh, with little or no equipment. Um, and all you need is a box of matches and a couple of maybe, if you want to get really sophisticated, a couple of old tires. Uh, so uh, I, I'm getting a little bit concerned about where one goes from here. And the, the reason I say that, Jim, is that, that one needs to go back a little bit uh, in time, in the in the in the late middle to late 80s, 
when I was practicing as virtually the sole forensic scientist in private practice in South Africa. Uh, I remember standing in a police station in charge office in, uh, um, uh, I think it was Alberton, and um, the, uh, the, the, the police people behind the counter were uh, uh, standing in front of P.W. Buerta and Adrian Flock and, and all the other criminals that made up the NAT government. And I, he said to me that he was very really proud of his leaders. And I said to him, well, it's only a matter of time before the same thing gets done to you. And then let's see how you enjoy it with the boots on the other foot. Now, the boot is firmly on the other foot, and that is not to say that two wrongs make a right. But the people who are behaving in the way that they're doing now had good teachers. Um, you must remember that the nationalist government uh, were not shy about uh, breaking up meetings and thuggery and assault. And um, they were also the police force of those in those far-off days were not great. Um, many of your listeners won't remember the taxi case uh, where the uh, it was in Whitbank. A couple of, I think it was Sun Lum agents, took out insurance, life insurance policies on a number of indigent black people that they found along the way. And uh, they took out substantial life policies on them and they promised them work and they piled them into a taxi a minibus taxi, which had carefully had all the uh, um, uh, inside uh, door opening devices taken off. And they drove the taxi to a remote part, poured petrol over it and pushed it over a cliff and killed almost everybody in the taxi. One or two people escaped. Now, the police were absolutely pathetic in that investigation. They made no attempt to apprehend the people who'd taken out the policy. There was no forensic investigation of the taxi. I was the only person who did the forensic investigation. I went, I went down there with Janine Lazarus, who was then, I think, with the Sunday Times. And we looked at this, and it was such a blatant fraud. Mm. And nothing got done. Now, that is probably as bad as what's happening now. These things were happening there, but not on the scale that it's happening now. Yeah, so you see already people and, in the comments, David, are saying, well, how, how, can you, how can you know that it was the EFF? Okay, well, you've got EFF members who have been literally caught starting fires on farms. You've got EFF members singing on stage to burn farmers. Uh, and, uh, and you've got farmers sending voice notes to one another um, in the middle of the night, talking about how they how they're trying to fend off people from burning their property. This this kind of this kind of weird um, well, approach that you have to have one hundred percent evidence. Yes, that is true. But I mean, for goodness' sake, they're they're inciting it. Well, you you got to look at another thing. You've got to look at two things. Firstly, if if it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck and it sounds and it just swims like a duck, the chances are it's not a frog. Yeah. So <laughs> when you start looking at a call for burning down, followed almost immediately by burning down of farms, it's not a it's not a way out um, inference to be drawn that the two are somehow linked. Now, even if those people are not EFF, in absolute name and party membership mm. and 
what have you. They are responding probably to the tacit approval coming from the leaders. And as I've said before, and I want to re-emphasize it again, that the moment you have wrongdoing, where the central government does not make a very firm statement uh, that it is wrong and that it should be stopped, and not only that, does nothing about it, you mm. must assume that there's acquiescence acquiescence on their part. Um, and again, uh, you know, uh, I accuse Cyril Ramaphosa yeah. of doing nothing. I accuse him of being party to this whole thing. And certainly, when you have a peace minister of the caliber of, of Telly, um, who responds to the farmer's real plight by the aggressive stance that he took in Normandy, that is a very bad thing for relationships going forward mm. with the farming community and the police. And not only that, the evidence is coming out more and more and more that the uh, police are involved in cattle rustling and cattle thieving. Mm. So one's got a problem with that. And going back to what I've said before, Pearlie, Pearlie Joubert, when she was still, I can't remember which newspaper, she was working for at the time, interviewed me some years ago. And and I pointed out to her that as she said to me, look, how can you how can you say that the police are corrupt? It's a very small percentage of them that are corrupt, which, by the way, is not true. Um, and I'll tell you why I say that in a minute. But the 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 issue is a very simple analogy. If you take one million liters of the finest, finest, best Cape red wine that, that can be produced on our magnificent farmlands, and you add to that one liter of sewerage, you will end up with one million and one liters of sewerage, undrinkable. Mm. And the point is very simply that you cannot have a corrupt police force. And particularly, you cannot have a corrupt police force where the hierarchy, the top brass, are corrupt. Because the people down below who have ample opportunities to perform corrupt practices, those people look up and they see people like Jackie Celebi uh, consorting with criminals. Mm. They see uh, Becky Shelley, who was consorting with a buddy of his to do outrageous leases on police building. You see uh, Ria Piega, who on a good day could be really described as really not worth the, the time of day. Um, and you look at all of this stuff and you wonder to yourself, why should I, as a as a yeah. lonely policeman who's been paid to put my life on the line, why should I not turn a blind eye when I can earn five times my annual salary by um, uh, just ignoring the fact that they're parliament purchase or that I know where their drug dealers and not do anything about it? That absolutely. And, and the problem is that the good police is a tiny core of good policemen who are being tainted with this terrible, terrible brush. And they are at immediate mortal danger from their corrupt colleagues, as we see with Charles Kinnear. I mean, the police you know, knew about this, and, and, and they did nothing about it. They are complicit. In fact, I would say that they are party to his yeah. murder. You know, I get annoyed. I, I, I see a comment like this saying, I'm not saying that the EFF, started all the fires but we can't just say that they did you know that that kind of comment annoys me because yeah sure fine the not all hutus killed tutsis you know while during that month or two of uh, of genocide 
you know, there were other opportunists as well. So we can't just say, David, that all Hutus killed Tutsis during the Rwandan genocide. It seems to be... No. It seems to be a very strange comment. The, the EFF are instigating violence against farmers, and they're literally singing about it, and, and their words are burn these farmers. Well, again, those are highly irresponsible words. And the, the failure of the government, and in particular the failure of Chile to do anything about it, is reprehensible to the nth degree. Um, I, I, I've, I've never fully understood uh, the, the, the uh, motivation behind this if you look at it in purely logical enlightenment terms. But that, I think, is my mistake. I think the mistake is to try and interpret these things in enlightenment terms because enlightenment values have gone by the board. Mm. We find the universities are passing people who come out of universities who are functionally illiterate. We're finding, I mean, I was, I was dealing with lawyers who've got law degrees coming out of uh, you know, various universities, not only, not only UCT, but coming out of various universities who were functionally non lawyers they they didn't know the law they didn't read their cases they didn't know what was going on um i dealt with a case of uh, a man not all that long ago who was up on a drug job very interesting case by the way um he was charged with manufacturing mandrakes mm. and he phoned me one day um and he said please i want you to come and defend me he said when you come up here they will run away I said, well, you've got great faith in me, my friend. Um, I, he, he was at that prison. He phoned me from the uh, Rudaport prison where he was taking up residence for the time being. And I used to call him Solly from E-Wing. So Solly from E-Wing phoned me with this, uh, this great faith. So he said, if you come up, they will run away, I'm telling you. So I said, okay, Solly, I'll come up and I'll analyze the substances for you, but it's going to cost you a lot of money because I've got to get in the equipment, I've got to hire it, I've got to spend a lot of time, I've got to fly up there. Do you really want to spend all this money? Yeah, do that. So I did exactly that. I made arrangements with the National Prosecuting Authority and with the police forensic people and uh, what have you. And I flew up to the, the laboratory in Pretoria uh, and there they had the, the substances which they uh, got from him, all sealed nicely, beautifully sealed, blah, blah. Uh, and I, I took samples of each one of the substances which they were accusing him of manufacturing, and I packaged them and labeled them. It was all done very, very properly. And I then said, right, I now need a letter from the head of the forensic lab giving me possession uh, giving position, per, uh, permission to be in possession of these. Because the last time I did that with that reprehensible Nazi, General Nietling, um, uh, I got home to find the police waiting there with a warrant for my arrest, by the way. Sure. <laughs> yeah, so it was quite exciting. So the long and the short of it is that we looked around for General Ngoka. They were all great on the general titles. Eh? So we found General Ngoka, obviously, mm. sidled on past. And I said to him, I need a letter from you to say that I can take these home with me in my possession. No, he said, I'm not signing any such letter. And if you walk out of here with them, uh, we're going to arrest you as you walk out the door. So I said, that's fine. Well, if you want to send a policeman down and waste state funds and money and time and effort and whatever else, uh, please, my guests, uh, but I expect them to be delivered to me with the seals that I've put on them intact. They never arrived. 
and the next court appearance they withdrew charges against Solly from Ewing uh, for the next seven years. Mm. Now, sure. what does that tell you? That tells you that they could not afford to have those samples analyzed by somebody who was not going to give them a souped-up response. Now, that's a problem when you have a legal system working in that haphazard fashion. Yes. And by the way, by the way, if you look at the legal system at the moment, it is severely crippled. The legal system is vitally dependent on adequate, correct, accurate forensic evidence. It's the mainstay mm. of many, many prosecutions. They are hundreds, uh, probably 120,000, 150,000 uh, DNA cases behind because they don't have DNA kits. They are at last count that I was informed. They're 50,000, 60,000 drug cases behind because there's no money to buy chemicals in order to analyze the drugs. Uh, and when the drugs are being analyzed, slowly, slowly, the forensic competency levels are being eroded in the laboratories sure. uh, to the extent where um, you, I, I, would, I would take it as, as um, uh, a, a given that you should not trust a single item coming out of those labs unless it's been checked and checked again. So it, it's very frightening. And also, uh, you can't rely on the police at all for any kind of honest comment about this. I mean, I, um, uh, I mentioned on a, a, a competing show many some years ago, four or five years ago, that the, the fingerprinting system and the case management system had all collapsed at the forensic labs um, because the uh, and, and bullet identification system also, by the way, had collapsed at the lab because um, they hadn't paid their subscriptions and kept everything up to date. So it had all just been cut off. And um, as, as uh, that paragon of accurate information, Vishnaidu, came on air shortly after me and said, no, this is all nonsense and none of that had happened. Well, my comment to Vishnaidu was again. Vishnaidu, sorry, he is the head of he's the head of uh, police, isn't he? No, the head police, of um, no, 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 he's a police spokesman. Police spokesman. I beg your pardon. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Now I've always found him to be an enormously, enormously um, accurate sense, uh, accurate source of information, provided I believe the opposite of what he tells me. So if he didn't know about it, either mm. either he is ill-informed. Or he's not telling the truth, and I'm unable to tell the difference where, which of the two it is. David, uh, so what you're saying is that there is a complete and utter breakdown of multiple systems within um, South Africa. Uh, this includes things like the railways. This includes things like crime and sa well, safety and security. This includes things like health. This inclu includes things like education. Now we're seeing uh, EFF. Uh, protesting in favour of farm attacks and burning down farms, do you think? Do you think? Do you think we're heading towards a civil war? I don't want to say that out loud. No, I, I, I don't know the answer to that question. I really don't know the answer to that question because the 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 numbers game uh, that is that would have to be played out in a civil war uh, would not be favorable to the the smaller group uh although i must say that 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 the the military capability of the eff i would think is fractional compared to the military capability of people who've had 
proper military training uh, under under a regime that knew the difference between uh, waving an AK and actually using an AK. Mm. So um, I don't know what the answer is. I sincerely hope there isn't going to be. But I would say this. I think that we are already in the throes of what I would call a low-grade civil war. Okay, it is a, it is a war of attrition, and it is a war of attrition which is being played out on many fronts, and and it is using resources which could be better used for uplifting the population. There is not a single thing that Malema and his cohorts have done which can be construed in any way, shape, or form as constructive. Nothing. Everything they've done has been destructive. Uh, calling for damage to property, calling for murder of whites, apart from the fact that it is utterly, totally racist. Oh, but David, and it's just it's they, just poetic, David. It's these are metaphors. No, that's absolute nonsense. That is absolute nonsense, and that is a piece of, of, of fascist dishonesty, which uh, um, is just so false it is not worth commenting any further on it. They they are. They are. They know full well that their words will carry off, and they fully understand that the word is father to the deed. They know that, and that's what they're banking on. And incidentally, although they claim to be uh, on the uh, the left wing, as it were, and they're probably left of the ANC uh, to a significant degree. Uh, although they claim to be on the left wing, they they their links and their behavior is indistinguishable from fascism. And that's the funny thing about both Nazism, the far right and the far left, that the, the, uh, um, the behavior patterns are indistinguishable. Only the, only the titles change. And, and during, during the 30s and 40s, when philosophy students came from England to, to Germany to study uh, philosophy under the significant German philosophers Hegel and, and other people, um, uh, and Heidegger, not Hegel, but but they studied Hegel, uh, but Heidegger was uh, was in the ascendancy in the thirties, uh, who was an existentialist philosopher, um, and uh, what was very interesting about Hegel is that uh, uh, not Hegel about uh, Heidegger is that he had rather a cozy relationship with the Nazis and Hitler. So, but the point is that these students came back from Germany uh, in that period of time, and their professors said, "We we are confused with these students. We haven't sure whether they've come back with communism or fascism, because they're so similar." Mm. And something very not not that well known uh, to anybody but students of history, is that Joseph Goebbels tried very hard to get into bed with Joe Stalin. Mm. And not only that, that, that in the early stages of the beginnings of the Second World War, uh, that Germany signed a non-aggression pact with Russia, which they then reneged on, by the way. But, but there was a non-aggression pact. They were close enough to have mutual interests, which, which was... They could they could see themselves carving up Europe to their mutual benefit. So that's that's the issue, and I think that what we're seeing now, and and I find it very interesting, is that uh, after after 
the fall of Stalin, who was about as wicked as they come. And we, we always list Hitler as the most wicked man we can think of of the 20th century. But his his death toll was lower than that of Stalin. Mm. And I'm not for one moment suggesting we do a calculus of wickedness uh, for one second, because I think that one murder of that nature mm. is already an infinity of crimes. But what I will say is that by the time Hitler had finished, he'd killed six million and a few others. Uh, by the time Stalin finished, he'd killed 30, 40 million. By the time Mao finished, he'd killed 60 million. By the time we looked at the killing fields in Cambodia, the bodies were piling up. And these people, these characters, all had classical education from the communist uh, sections of the French university. The, one of the, 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 the architects of the, the killing fields in Cambodia had a PhD from the Sorbonne. Sure. Now, that's very scary, and I was going to get to that and, and tell you that there's some very interesting developments in England, some of which may actually even touch me. Um, during during, the, during the, uh, the late 20s, um, my father's brother, who's called Leonard Klatzer, was a rather competent physicist at University of the Free State. And you know that each province got a Rhodes Scholarship, and he applied for one. And his buddy at the Free State University came to him and said to him, Len, I see you've applied for a Rhodes Scholarship. He said, I have. He said, well, um, I have also applied for one. And because of my position, my father being the judge president and my grandfather being the president, I'm obviously going to get it. So that would be unfair seeing you applied first. So I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to withdraw my application and I'll see you in Oxford next year, which is exactly what happened. And the two of them shared a house together in Oxford. Wow. And his name was Bram Fisher. Now, I unearthed papers of my uncle uh, recently where he was the secretary of the Scientific Workers Union. Now, anything more uh, socialist and communist would be hard to imagine. Right. And it would be very difficult to understand that Len could have such a close friendship and relationship with Bram Fisher, who was, who was a communist, and who was jailed for his communist activities, although he was a brilliant advocate uh, and a very brilliant uh, legal mind in general. Mm. Uh, but it's very difficult to believe that Len was not equally um, uh, communistically inclined. Very difficult to believe that. Uh, unfortunately, he, he died during the war. He was killed in a bomber crash. He was developing night sights for the, the military, because uh, he was a very skilled physicist in, mm. in light and, and transmission of infrared and what have you. But he died very young. He was in his early 30s when he was killed in a, in a bomber crash. And that was kept quiet from the family. I, until I was in my late 60s, believed that he died of a heart attack. So you had a communist in the family? I would, I would say that Len was probably a communist in the family. Now, why do they do this? Uh, why would a man of undoubtedly superior intellect like Bram Fisher. Mm. Why would somebody who, and Len was undoubtedly, he was one of the, Len, Len was involved in the development of one of the most seminal items of use during the war, a thing called the cavity magnetron. 
It's commonplace now because it occurs, a cavity magnetron occurs in every microwave cooking unit. Mm. But in those days, you needed to have a, a, a generator of microwaves, a good strong generator of microwaves in order to produce radar that was in any way effective without requiring a huge box of tricks that couldn't be put in an aircraft, for instance. And Len was instrumental in part of the team that developed the cavity magnetron, which was shipped over to America and enabled them to produce adequate microwaves for developing radar to the extent that they did. And it was a vital component mm. of, of winning that war. Now, those people, people like Bernal, all get suckered into the belief that this stuff is done for compassionate reasons. We are there for the underdog. No, but no greater nonsense. No greater lie has ever been foisted on the public. Julius Malema is not there for the underdog. He's, no, he's there for himself to get as much out of it for himself and to seize the reins of power when he can capture the state for his own. And I use. think, I think, David, and if this, I may, if I may, butt in at this point, um, we need to zoom out. I don't know if you agree, but I think we need to zoom out and look at the bigger picture. So we can sit and we can intellectualize and argue over who actually started what fire where. Okay, we can do that. But we're never going to get anywhere. We're just maybe re redesigning the decor on the Titanic. The bigger picture yeah. The bigger picture is that you've got a, the third largest political party in the country that is openly, openly advocating for violence advocating violence against farmers, burning farms, enjoying it, celebrating it. Um, and uh, even if EFF members here and there were not involved, the big picture is that they're advocating. The ANC is not, is not really speaking out strongly enough against it at all. Um, and farmers, for example, are, are almost on their own. They're, they're now being looked after by private organizations and groups of individuals like us who are trying to help and fund and do what we can where we can but they're also the heart well, they of the are country. on their own yeah but they're also well, the heart of the country they, they're they're farming food they're only part of the heart of the country they're a vital part because without them you're going to be queuing for three weeks to fight over the last loaf of bread yes at pick and pay but Failing, failing the, the, the survival of the farmers, the country will be plunged into economic misery. Mm. And, and, and the ANC will have achieved equality for all, but it will be equality of misery. Yeah. Uh, there's been no attempt by the ANC to build up anything. There's been a concerted attempt only to loot for their own selfish mm. needs. And I mean, Becky and I Chile... can't think of a single, single thing that they've done which yeah. could be described as constructive. And Becky Chela tells him basically to shut up. And I mean, this kind of thing can lead to a civil war. No, I, I, hope, I hope that you're wrong on that. I mean, mm. if it does lead to a civil war, it will be a, a major tragedy. And, and nobody will come out of it. There will be no winners. There will only be survivors. Mm. And I'm afraid that I, I'm, I'm frightened should that happen. I would understand clearly if 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 some hothead got got loose with uh, an automatic weapon and and did that but it would be damaging to the cause of law and order and what the what the uh, the, the the da are advocating is that one retain the cause of law and order but that itself is difficult by the way mm. it's difficult to retain the cause of law and order when you look at what's happening at the high courts i mean when you look at the the circus which we call the cape town high court 
Um, it's very, very concerning that uh, that Schlopi has had his clearly corrupt exercise in trying to influence uh, the constitutional court Jafta in a way that suited his political ally Zuma. It is very concerning that that has dragged on for 12 years without any uh, serious consequence for 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 Schlopi. And it is it is a disgraceful situation where you've got Schlopi sounding off against his deputy judge, President Goliath, uh, who I don't rank highly as a judge, uh, and uh, allegedly assaulting Mr. Parker uh, in his chambers over over personal issues. Might I suggest? And, and by the way, but just let me finish in telling you about Parker. It is it is very, very concerning that Parker got his bottom on the high court bench when there were serious mm. questions unanswered about about his trust account. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so how did that happen? Well, because there's a there's a lack of morality and ethics, don't you think? Worse than that, there there is there is a desire to sift the wheat from the chaff and to keep the chaff. That's the problem. And we we are rapidly becoming a country that I would call an ochlocracy, which comes from comes from the Greek word uh, to 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 indicate a government governing governing body by the mob. And we see that. We see that Malema can with impunity call his his uh, his mm. garlighters and his troops down to destroy property at clicks. That's outrageous, and the police do absolutely nothing about it. Um, so there seems to be a one-way policing, and that again leads me to the view that the police themselves are part of the problem, part of the solution. That's the issue, that, that if you've got the level of corruption, mm. which is high, which is so high that I would now consider it greater than 50% of the police that are corrupt, and remember that you don't have to actually do an act of corruption in mm. order to be corrupt. You only have to turn a blind eye to it. That makes you corrupt. I was going to say, David, um, in every situation, wherever there's an obstacle, this is a little bit of a, of a stoic um, thought, but wherever there's an obstacle, there's an opportunity. And it's a, it's a weird, it's a very weird discussion to have, but... In the event of continued implosion of the South African state in just about every facet of our lives, do you not think perhaps that there's also this growing sense of, of self-reliance, uh, dependence on our own businesses, our own communities, and no longer on the state? We fix our own potholes. We have our own security. We have our own uh, trading. I know it's not ideal, but I mean, there is potentially a silver lining, don't you think? Innovation. Well, I think that that the the way forward is innovation. Mm. I think that we've got to look at how one would protect the farms, and I think that mm. Afri Forum are are probably doing a very good job in putting forward ways and means of a supporting the farmers and yeah. b protecting the farmers. I think also the farmers need to organise themselves in a way that is highly visible. Um, I know it's difficult to do because they've got to farm all day and, and look after security all night, but I'm pretty sure that that, that could be done in the most cost-effective way. 
there are ways of doing that. Uh, the communication system is very, very much better than it was 20, 30 years ago. Mm. Um, so that people can, can call up uh, reinforcements and help very quickly. And I think, as I've said before, that the, the, the need to uh, apprehend these criminals uh, is, is, is crucial. Make it not worth their while. But I think there's another thing, and it's an educational component. Until people, the rural community, understand that they're going to be at the forefront of starving mm. okay, when, when the farms can no longer produce, that is a time when uh, the tide will change, when they realize that, that they're not going to be able to put food on the table whatsoever because there aren't any farmers there. And because the farmers have been unable to uh, to grow the crops and and the the losses economically to the country, I mean already there's a dwindling. I think that the tax base has dropped from eight hundred million to to a hundred million hundred billion. I mean that's a that's a major drop in tax base um, that that the country cannot ill afford. Um, mm. So. Yeah, I, I don't know what the answer is. The other thing, of course, that you need to you need to understand is that there's no shortage of land. Yeah, the ANC have got land. The ANC have got land, but they're sitting on it, and they're not uh, giving it out to people to farm. They are wanting to hand that out in small parcels uh, as some kind of uh, way of of getting the allegiance of the rural mm. farmers. No, but and, I don't think they're interested in farming. subsistence farming. They're not interested that, in, in getting well, farms. Well, they've got to. No, they're, they're interested in getting control of the the, the food production. Mm. That's what they're interested in. Yes. It's got nothing to do with the farmers. Um, and there are people, I mean, I know of people who've bought massive farms in the last month or two. But generally speaking, I think farms are not that easy to sell at the moment. No. And Check I this think comment. people are moving off the land. Check this interesting comment, um, David, from JP. He says, mm. one of the accused mm. of the murder of Brendan Horner got 5,000 rand bail. Andre Pinar, who was arrested after the cynical incident, uh, got 15,000 rand bail. That tells you everything, says JP. Yeah, well, it does. But but again, I don't support Penny Sparrow, who was a foolish little old lady who made a particularly idiotic comment publicly. But the the... the, the the excessiveness of the law that was descended upon her uh, makes one wonder at the at the level of what she did wrong. Whereas you have people like like these people killing for murder and burning farms and and calling people monkeys and 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 and, and whatever, you, you've got virtually no law applied to them. Uh, and I don't see the same level of law, which again goes back to the fact that that you the, the police are ideologically at odds with what you and I consider to be law and order. They they see that this is a fair uh, retribution for people who've stolen the land. Why should they protect farmers who they they allege have stolen the land? Well, they'll find out very quickly when they're hungry. You, you can't eat political ideology. No, no, you can't. Um, but it, it clearly isn't about food or farming. Uh, you're having an intellectual moment here. 
Uh, this is more about some sort of politicized culture war. It's not about that at all. It's power. Yeah, power. Yeah, well, yeah, there you go. It's a power grab. All it is is power. And, and, and getting back getting back to postmodernism, which took over from communism, when, when even, even the boneheaded French communists mm. uh, couldn't support communism any longer when the list of bodies was too high, they, re, they reinvented it into postmodernism. And instead of the bourgeoisie and the proletariat, you've now got white capitalists against anybody else who chooses to define themselves as a, as a victim. Yeah. So you've got lesbians who are victims, you've got gays who are victims, you've got blacks who are victims, you've got gay black lesbians, which is this is all called intersectionality. Mm. These are all multi-victim mm. uh, type uh, people, uh, and each one can claim a valid victimhood uh, without producing anything uh, vaguely sensible or vaguely useful, and and that has taken over the university. The universities can now. I mean. UCT used to be scathingly referred to as Moscow on the Hill. But in fact, there's very little at UCT today which cannot be considered to be leftist in terms of its ideology. There, you dare not view, view a, a, center, a center view. And I mean, there, there, was, a, there, was, a, um, <laughs> there was a very funny uh, video doing the rounds on YouTube of, of a meeting between a number of students and a young black woman um, uh, was advocating science must fall. Yes. She said, I don't know if you remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did a show um, on it. Okay. Okay. It, 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 the fact that that young woman was at university at all is an indication that the, the gatekeeping effect of, of, mm. of, of having some sort of standards for letting somebody in it simply isn't there. Yeah, and what was interesting was that the chairwoman of that meeting was not interested. No, in a debate, she was no. interested in closing down <laughs> anybody with a different view. Okay, now that is the feature. That mm. is the feature. I mean, I, I I watched Max Price doing the soft shoe shuffle with these clowns, um, and his problem was that Max Price is uh, fundamentally, I think. I think he's a naive man to think that he could deal with them in any way. But but he was, uh, who knows what was going through his mind. I think he was trying to just make sure that they didn't burn down the universities on his mm. watch. And he was quite happy to leave it to somebody else. Uh, but dealing with them, that, that entire fee, roads must fall, it metamorphosed so quickly into, into multiple hydra-like uh, yeah. entities that you couldn't keep pace with it. I mean, it started off as roads must fall. Then it started off as, as fees must uh, fees must stay constant, no increase in fees. Then it in, went on to no fees. Mm. Then it went on to no past debts needed to be paid. Well, you can't do that. You can't run an institution which requires lots of money if nobody's going to pay for that. Well, as I said before, and, um, as I said before, Max paid the price. Absolutely. He did. And and uh, poor old Max will live with that appellation, the price that mm. Max Price paid. Uh, and I don't think history will treat Max particularly kindly. No. Hugo agrees with you. Uh, he says this is all about power and ideology. Yeah. Yeah, it's power. It's power. The, 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 notion, the notion that, uh, you know, you don't have to swat anatomy to become a doctor. Mm. 
All I need to do is here. Here's a stethoscope and here's a white coat and you're as well qualified as anybody else. And mm. that's why you have a, a major university in the country putting out two cardiologists who managed to put in a, a mitral valve upside down. You know, that's mm. great stuff. I mean, it didn't leak. I mean, you can say that about them, but it, uh, it only worked if the poor patient stood on his head. And even then, I don't think it worked. But you know, the point so, is that the patient died. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I, I think my gut feeling is that we're not headed to a civil war. But I tell you what, the fact that we're having the conversation or even asking the question is not a very good starting point. Um, but when you've got people like Julius Malema who, who say on TV, so be it, you know, if uh, if 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 some sort of 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 low level civil war is sparked, you know he he doesn't he doesn't moot, you know uh, uh, try and moot that point. He he double he doubles down, um, and that kind of thing is well, highly problematic. Well, Julius Malema, if if you can, uh, I will reverse my view. Uh, if you can, or part of my views, if you can point to me one constructive thing that Malema has done or said. No. One constructive thing. No, I can't think um, of any. I can't think of anything. He's been involved in tenderpreneurship. It has been his mainstay, which itself is corrupt. Mm. And he's been involved in fomenting violent and, and um, race-based. He's not done a single thing to bring the races close together. And no. you know the tragedy of that? The tragedy of that is that there is and was, I think more to the was, there was an immense sense of goodwill after the fall of apartheid uh, between the races. People thought this was going to be the rainbow nation. Um, and uh, it didn't happen. In fact, I think, I think that Malema and his cohorts have done more uh, to ferment race-based yeah. I've division than 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 Favut ever did. You know, I yes, an interesting Lema, comment. Lema can claim the Favut prize. Kali Sang's asking, well, wasn't Julius's involvement um, in removing uh, Jacob Zuma a good thing? I do not agree with that. I think Jacob Zuma being removed was a bad thing. Um, I know, I know that your that anybody's knee jerk reaction would be, yeah, he we need to have removed him, but he was. He was voted in in a democratic election, and he should have been. You, you can't create a precedent, David, of just removing presidents when you're not happy with them, because that can that can have a well, counter effect later on. Yeah, yeah. You must remember. You must remember that Malema did a, a hop, skip, and a jump between "I'll kill for Zuma" and "I'll kill Zuma." Yes. Okay. There wasn't wasn't too many years that that uh, intervened between those two statements. Um, and he was instrumental in getting Zuma in. But the fact mm. that Zuma could be voted in by playing the legal system the way it was, mm. after Squires' damning finding in the Shabir Sheikh case, uh, the fact that Zuma could be voted in itself is a terrible indictment on our political system. Yeah. And I think, I think, quite frankly, one of the great disappointments and one of the great failings of the system was the fact that there was proportional representation, which mm. meant that power didn't die, was not to be found in the constituencies any longer, but emanated from Latuli House, mm. and that's very dangerous. And you know, Latuli House has never been uh, a centre for uh, uh, honest dealing whatsoever. 
uh, not in any way, shape or form. I mean, one wants to know why they have a vast arsenal of, of weaponry in the basement of Latuli House and why when there was the shooting that went on uh, at Library Square a few years ago, which I was partially involved in, why uh, that seemed to be people leaning out of windows and getting their weapons from Latuli House and shooting up things that didn't please them. Mm. So one needs to go back and look at the system that we have because it is not a system which is going to produce accountability. That's the one thing. There is no accountability. People can get away with what they like. And they have been getting away with what they like. And and that was how Zuma, and of course Zuma, Zuma had an absolute genius for putting the most corrupt people possible who owed him an allegiance based on that corruption mm. into positions of power. And he gave them the hands on the on the on the on the levers of power. Yeah, you see, my my such my problem there was that that Zuma should not have stood for president. Um, having having removed him while he was president, I think was a bad idea. They did the same with Tabum Becky. So if you don't like a president, you just you just make a case and you remove him, which is not a very strong or healthy uh, place to be in. You need to sit sit through that presidency and vote out the president in the next election. Um, well, it's as I said to you. The, 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 the proportional representation mm. which where all the powers devolved down onto Latuli House is Correct. not a good system for democracy. Yes. Yeah. It's democracy in name but not in practice. And also because that, because Zuma was fairly ineffective, which was a good reason to keep him as president. <laughs> well he wasn't ineffective when you look at the, the level to which mm. he and his sons um broke every rule in the book and enriched themselves. I mean, he had a son who owned a mine out at, uh, mm. on the East Rand. Uh, and that mine uh, was looted. It never produced gold properly. He never paid his workers. Uh, What's his, his name workers. now? Um, I, I can't. It wasn't Dudazana. It was the other one. You're talking about the one who, who was so fat that he ate the mine. Well, almost. It looked as though he'd eaten the mine. Okay, uh, but I mean that that mine was and and it was it was it was like the Wild West. There, you had the the illegal miners who were opening fire on the security guards. There was much shooting and carrying on there. Uh, it's at unreal. The time. Yeah. Uh, and that's in the middle of a built-up area where this mine was, and it's never produced anything. Also down at at Kriflay. Mm. Um None of none of these things that the ANC have taken over, or that the sons of Zuma have taken over, uh, have been uh, in any way, shape, or form productive. Uh, um, and you have that other son of his who, and, and I don't know what's happened about that case where he drove his portion to people. Um, um, and David, he was, he was charged. Yeah, maybe maybe something that would happen before civil war in South Africa would be. Uh, I don't know the sort of balkanization of the country. Do, do you think that's that's uh, a more of a possibility? I don't know. Just explain what you mean more than that. Uh, what do you mean by that? Uh, uh, more independent states, regions uh, forming themselves because of uh, the uselessness of the government. Well. I think so. I think that I think that there's already a move in Cape Town to, I don't know whether it will ever work uh, mm. or not. I don't know enough about the law to make an intelligent comment. 
But uh, I think that there's a move in Cape Town to, to, to split the Cape away from the rest of the government. Because the, the only province that is working well, and even then having to fight against uh, largely dissipative forces, mm. uh, the only province that's working well is Cape Town, is, is the Western Cape. Mm. Um, the, 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 the Eastern Cape is in a state of disaster. Natal is in a state of disaster with their water supplies rapidly dwindling. Nobody listened to Anthony Turton. Mm. Okay. Um, the, the Transvaal, all of it is, is, is in terrible situation. Um, and everything is linked in a way because economy is so tightly linked. I mean, I've got a friend who put a house on the other day. It's the most magnificent house in Cape Town, uh, which I would buy in a heartbeat if I was there. It's a lovely house. She has stunning taste. She's a woman who, who understands style and form and, and, and beautiful furniture and what have you. Uh, and they put on a house not one bite, not a single bite. And I've got another friend who's trying to sell his house further up country. Not a single bite. Property so the property is market is mm. in a state at the moment as well, which is concerning. Yeah, property in South Africa is a shocking investment, particularly if there's going to be some sort of Zimbabwean um, uh, outcome in the f next few years. Yeah. No, no, I think that there was a time when property was a really good investment. And as I always used to say, mm. that that God God stopped making land a little while ago and he continued making people so there'd be a demand for property. But not when there are no property rights. And again, That's we're, back, attack too. we're back. Of course they are. Okay? Mm. And not only that, you must, remember, you must remember the interesting thing about this is that Absolute poverty is not the key to understanding this problem. It's relative poverty. So if somebody's driving, it, it may be that you're driving a, 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 a rattle trap motor car, but the, the, the comparison between you and somebody who's driving a Porsche is what counts. And yeah. if you're not happy with, the, with your status in driving a rattle trap and you want a Porsche, it's it's a problem. Yeah, you're quite and right. That is the problem of of juxtaposing mm. really really struggling communities, which the ANC is doing at a rate of knots. Mm. They are bussing people into to open areas so that you have Ronda Bosch, and I see there's a fight going on about, and it's a, it's a difficult fight. Not we can return to that. The Ronda mm. Bosch golf course. I see that Cape Town has now leased out the golf course again for a very low figure. Mm. Uh, to people. Now, their argument is it's not suitable for housing. And I think that the golf course may well find itself in, 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 in a floodplain, and mm. there may be lots of reasons which I'm not fully aware of. But the, the, the fact is that you've got vast open spaces like the Rodderbosch Common. Now, I can't see why people don't invade it, and I'm not inviting them to invade it, but the difficulty that I had, I used to sit in my house in Rondebosch with the, the following concern, and it used to worry me that I had all the space which I didn't need, where, whereas uh, my office assistant, Memory, uh, was eking out with her family uh, in, in a one-roomed establishment. Now, those are questions which are very hard to answer in a normal society. It happens in Britain as well. 
I mean, if you think if you think everybody lives in a castle in Britain, they don't. Most of them don't, and most most of the people in Britain lead a fairly modest existence. Mm. And there are a few extremely well, wealthy ones who who lord it over everybody else, and own vast swathes of land. But but I'm not sure that that is a solution to the modern problem. I think that that proper use of the facility and South Africa is not sure short of assets. Yeah, we're an extremely wealthy country. Your your comment had those had those assets been properly utilized for everybody, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Mm. Yeah, your comment about absolute poverty not being a problem is is, is on point. Uh, be, I mean, the, the, even the concept of absolute poverty is meaningless because it doesn't mean anything. Somebody who's poor in the United States is probably a lot better off than somebody who's poor in Rwanda. Um, well, so it, you, you're quite right, it is relative. I, I, it just no. made me think now, is a Bushman poor? No. No, he's not. And And... I did a I did a fire in Mauritius for one of the big cotton woolen spilling spitting mills that that there, and the women in that mill worked a long long day uh, for less than a dollar a day. Now that's just above subsistence level, just mm. above subsistence level. Anything goes wrong, that that drives them into a, a dire situation, and. There was no shortage of people. If, if somebody didn't like it, well, it's fine. Out, no labour laws. You just get out, and I'll fill it up with somebody else. And you know, you know, the irony of all of this, of course, is that we are buying from South Africa, and 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 the South African government is supporting the Chinese. And the concept of a sweatshop was invented and perfected and utilised to the nth degree by the Chinese. I mean, we're buying. We're buying. Mm. At at the time, we used to have quite good. Uh, denim producing plants in South Africa, in Natal and elsewhere. About 20 years ago, it was found that you could import a fully made up garment made of reasonable denim from the East for less than you could produce a, a, a roll of denim here. Sure. Now, of course, of course, that, that had a, that had a major impact on the, 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 the labor force in this country. I mean, all, all those huge factories producing uh, clothing and, and uh, things that you used to find dotted along Main Road in Woodstock and what have you, yeah. those factories have all gone. They're, they're no longer there. And the workers that used to earn a, 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 their daily crust from working in those factories are out of work. Mm. Because it can, and, and by the way, it's all supported by the pick and pays and the and the and the Woolworths and the whoever is buying the slave produced item. Yeah. They they should really look at their at their it's all very well to be so woke as, as these companies are. But when you're buying products that are made under those conditions, then you need to really look at your morality. Morality is seriously deficient. David um when you're supporting them. We've hit we've hit an hour, so let's let's do final comment. The the overarching question was: Are we nearing a civil war? Let's let's uh, let's yeah. let's make a final my, conclusion. My answer is: I hope not. And my answer is that unless something, unless we get together, everybody, 
and make the plight of everybody. And by the way, this is not just the plight of white farmers. When the, when the white farmers go, uh, the first people who are going to be smitten by this, this situation are going to be the poorest of the poor. And what mm. one has got to do is one's got to make Malema famous for his utterances. He, he, is, he, he is the black version of Adolf Hitler. And, and he has many role models, and he seems to be very happy to take on the role model of, of Idi Amin. I mean, Idi Amin is another great, great example of mm. a fabulous role model. Um, but we're seeing it. We're seeing that history is recapitulating itself, uh, and I think that we've got to publish very clearly Malema's malignancy mm. and his reprehensibility, and we've got to make certain that the world knows about it. And the the sooner we do that, and the sooner we get. And and by the way, it was Mandela who said, by the way, that uh, uh, if 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 your government starts to fail, you use the same methods against them as we used against mm. the Nats. And maybe that's not a bad idea. Maybe that one should start to look at ways of impoverishing the government until they step up to the plate and do something useful. Um, I like just that. one aspect. One aspect of of that is is the following: is that. You, you need to go and have a look at a place like Eskom. Now, I don't know how they're going to fix it because the, the last count, and I'm sure that's an undercount, mm. the last count is that there are at least 5,700 members of Eskom who are in engaged in shady deals. Mm. Okay, And if you, if you were to do the right thing and take them out of Eskom circulation immediately, you could switch off the lights with the next movement of your hand. The, the other thing that, that, again, I don't understand, Jim, and I just don't understand this. Maybe I'm just a crazy mm. Enlightenment thinker. But how does the fact that your contract wasn't renewed with the Durban municipality entitle you to go and burn down the substations? Help me with that. No, how I does that know. help anybody? I don't know the answer. Help me with this. How does the fact that the trains are late uh, entitle you to burn half of the train sets which Cape Town needs for its transport. Help me with that. How does the fact that you're dissatisfied with service delivery in a town, how is that helped by burning down a farm? How does it help the country, which is, all of this has got to be rebuilt, by the mm. way, to tear up uh, Praza, Praza the, the metro rail lines that belong to Praza are non-functional at the moment. If you look at the the, the various stations, they've been looted. The tracks have been pulled up. The overhead cables have been looted. Mm. How does this help the country? No, it doesn't. And what one's got to do, we've got to get like-minded people together, irrespective of color. This, this, this color business is not a constructive issue. And Malema is making as much use of color as he can. I mean, he, the Khoisan woman told him to get the hell out of life her life because mm. they were there but he he seems to rope her in as one of the black people she's not the Khoisan occupied the cape long before the blacks ever came across the fish river that there's no question and the archaeology is clear on that. yeah all right david so so we've got to get together and and i think we've got together to put together positive things i think every for them is doing that yes uh, i think that the da is 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 fighting a very concerted and good battle to do exactly that and i think that the good people in the street man woman child black and colored uh, and white need to realize that you've got a common 
future ahead of you if you make use of the facilities which you've got available. And don't destroy them. Don't burn them. David, listen, on that note, uh, people can contact you. Your email address is under the video. As always, thank you for joining me. Yeah. Next time we need to talk about one other thing, and sure. that is major insurance fraud by the insurance companies. I've got a few Good. interesting stories right. to tell you about We'll that. do that. Have a great day. Thank Cheers. you, everybody, in the comments. And you. My name is Jim. This was Jim Warfare, the Battle of Ideas.